knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Genesis chapter 27, it's one of the sorriest and saddest chapters that we've come across so far in Genesis because everyone that we're going to see in this chapter is going to mess up, they're going to fail, they're going to blow it, uh, and they're doing exactly what they shouldn't be doing, which really makes it a chapter that all of us can relate to because each one of us uh, do the exact same things. Um, you know, whenever you're looking at someone's failures in the Bible. I think oftentimes we look at those things and we think like, how could they or what were they thinking? But really what we should be looking at is just recognizing, hey, we fail as well and what can we learn from the failures of the people that we're looking at? The people we're going to see fail and sin a lot in chapter 27 are Isaac, his wife Rebecca, and then their children, Jacob and Esau. Now, back in chapter 25, we learned five things about this family that I want to remind you of because those things play a big part here in chapter 27, and maybe we've forgotten since it's been a couple of weeks. The first thing I want to remind you of is what God told Rebecca as she's pregnant and she's about to have children. Remember, this was a miraculous birth. She was barren. They prayed. God uh, ultimately enables her to have children. But she realizes, hey, something's wrong within me and during this pregnancy. And she starts to pray. She's wondering what's wrong. And in chapter 25, verse 23, God says this to her. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So God reveals to Rebecca, hey, you're about to have twins, and these twins represent two different nations, but there's something that's different about them, because in that culture, the oldest would always be served by the youngest. It was never, you know, reversed, and God's saying, hey, there's something different that's going to happen with your kids. The younger one is actually going to be the one in charge, and the older one is going to be serving the younger one. And so ultimately God is saying, hey, Jacob, the younger, is going to be the head of the home. He's going to be the one that gets the blessing, the birthright. It's going to be his. And the older one that typically would get that, that's not going to be his. The second thing I want to remind you of is what these two boys were like as they were born. Uh, The first one comes out and he's covered in hair and they call him Esau, which means hairy. And the fact that he's hairy is important for chapter 27. The next one as Esau's being born, grabs his heel and they call him Jacob, which means heel catcher. And it wasn't a good term because heel catcher is also a term for a trickster and a deceiver, which we're going to see definitely Jacob uh, lives up to his name. The third thing I want to remind you of is what we're told when they start to grow up. We're told that Esau, he's an outdoorsman. 
man. He's a hunter. He's a man of the field. He's kind of that manly man that does the outdoor stuff. And then we're told that Jacob is a mild man who dwells in the tents. He's an indoor guy, and Esau is an outdoor guy. The fourth thing I want to remind you of is that Isaac and Rebekah, they showed favoritism to their kids. We're told that Isaac loved Esau. Esau was his favorite. And the thing that he loved about Esau was the fact that Esau would go and kill these, you know, different animals and make this great meat and, you know, kind of build up that barbecue and bring it to his dad. And he loved what he got to eat from Esau. And we're told that Rebekah loved Jacob. And so each parent has their favorite. And the biggest thing that I want to remind you of is at the end of chapter 25, we have the birthright and we have Jacob getting the birthright from Esau, who was the oldest who should get it. And Esau is hungry. He's been out in the field all day. He comes in and Jacob has just made this stew. And Esau says, give me some stew. I'm hungry. And Jacob says, hey, you can have all the stew you want. Sell me your birthright. And Esau basically says, what's the birthright to me? He didn't really care about it because one of the big things about the birthright wasn't that you just got more of an inheritance. It was also that you took on the spiritual headship of the home. And he didn't care about the spiritual headship. He didn't really want the spiritual headship. So he was like, what's that to me? Give me the stew. I swear I'll sell you the birthright. And so he sells Jacob the birthright for a bowl of stew. So that's the five things that we see in this family in chapter 25 that lead us here into chapter 27. But if you note last week, we came to the last two verses of chapter 26 and I stopped because I said they fit better here in chapter 27 because they share with us one more thing about Esau. Uh, because you come into chapter 27, you kind of think maybe Esau's a victim here, but, but Esau's a pretty messed up guy. Uh, chapter 26, verses 34 and 35, we're told this. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, and Basemith, the daughter of Elan, the Hittite, and they were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau, he marries two women. He is a man who takes more than one wife, but it's not even that's not the, the biggest problem. That was definitely a problem. That was something that he shouldn't have done. But he marries these Hittite women, these pagan women, these women who were going to lead him really away from God and not to the Lord. And in the book of Hebrews, uh, we have an interesting insight from God in Hebrews looking back on Genesis. And it shares some insights with us about um, Esau. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, it says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Notice that Hebrews does not have a, a fond view of Esau. He is a profane person, but he's also a fornicator. And this is demonstrated in the fact that he had multiple wives and probably slept with women uh, before even marrying them. Uh, and he's a profane guy. So, so Esau, he didn't care about the spiritual head of the home. He does some things that are pretty sinful. And now we come into chapter 27. All of this stuff is kind of setting the stage. Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, what we've seen now. We come to chapter 27. we got a pretty messed up family, and it's going to get even worse. So verse 1 says this, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make for me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. 
So Isaac is now getting old, and one of the problems of his age is he has gone blind. His eyes have gone dim. He can't see anymore. So he is old, and he's at the point of time where his brother um, Ishmael had passed away. And so he's probably thinking, well, Ishmael died at this age, so this is probably about the age that I'm going to die. He's actually going to live for quite a long time after this. But he doesn't believe that. He thinks, I'm old, my eyes are dim, I can't see, it's time for me to die, so I need to get my affairs in order. And one of the big things that he wants to do is he wants to give a blessing to his son. Now, the blessing went kind of hand-in-hand with the birthright in that culture. The oldest child would not only get the birthright, which was the double portion of the inheritance and the spiritual leadership of the home, but after the father passed away, but also the father would bless that child as well. And so he is now bringing Esau to do that. But we already noted that is not God's choice for the birthright. It's not God's choice for the blessing. God clearly said Jacob, the younger, should be in that role, and Esau, the older, is going to be serving Jacob. And so Isaac now is making a choice to go against what God has clearly revealed to him and to Rebekah. Now, blessings were usually a pretty big ordeal. It was something that the father would do at least in front of the whole family. Oftentimes, if you were a family like this in front of all the servants and everything, that it would be clear, hey, this is the one that I'm blessing, and this is how I am blessing this person. So it wasn't some private affair. It was something that was more of a public thing. But notice here that Isaac calls just Esau. It's kind of this secret thing just between he and, and Isaac, and he's saying, hey, I want something from you before I bless you. I want you to go out, I want you to take you know, your bow, and I want you to go kill an animal, and I want you to make that savory food that I love so much. Bring it back to me so I can eat it, and then I'm going to bless you. Isaac is the first person in this chapter to fail and to do something sinful. Isaac is intending to go against the word of God, what God desires. He's planning on blessing Esau instead of who he should have blessed, which is Jacob. Now I want to jump down for a moment to verse 27, and I want you to notice the blessing that Isaac, thinking he's going to give to Esau, we're actually going to find out it's going to be Jacob that's here because Jacob's going to deceive him, but Isaac thinks he's blessing Esau, and notice what he says in verse 27 through 29. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore... May God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's son bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now notice this, Isaac is thinking, I am giving this blessing to Esau, and I'm specifically in this blessing saying, your mother's son, which would be Jacob, May he bow down to you. May he be your servant. And God specifically said, that's not the way it's going to be. Jacob is going to be the one who rules, and Esau is going to be the servant. So he is specifically giving a blessing, thinking he's doing it to Esau, that goes completely against what God told both he and Rebekah when Rebekah was pregnant. You know, Isaac, he favored Esau over Jacob. He loved Esau, and he particularly loved what Esau offered him. Esau brought him this food that he loved. It wasn't because Esau was a spiritual man. 
Because at the end of chapter 26, we say that Esau brought grief to him and who he married and his lifestyle. So it wasn't like, oh, I really want to give this to Esau because he's going to make a great head of the home when I die. He's going to be a great spiritual leader when I die. No, Esau wasn't that at all. No, Esau, you bring me great food. And why don't you do that one last time? Go out and make me a wonderful meal, and then I'm going to bless you. There's that old saying that says, a way to a man's heart is through his belly, and it seems that was the case with Isaac. I really just care about a meal right now. I'm not really thinking about what's best for the future of the family, what's best from what God has said. Just, I'll bless you, you bring me some food, and everything will be great. So Isaac is more concerned about feeding his flesh than he is about obeying the word of God. You know, I think there's a big warning for us here because we are often like Isaac. We fail time and time again to obey God's word because we're more concerned about feeding our flesh than we are about obeying what God has clearly told us. Oftentimes, we are more driven by our fleshly hunger than our spiritual hunger. And we've been talking about this in the book of Romans, that this kind of battle within us of, am I going to feed my flesh or am I going to feed my spirit? Because both are hungry to be fed, but so often we're feeding our flesh and therefore not obeying God's word in the process. So the first thing I want you to take note of tonight comes from Isaac's failure, and it's this. God wants us to deny our flesh and obey his word. Isaac failed to do this. He gave in to his flesh and denied the word of God, and we need to do the opposite. We need to deny our flesh and follow the word of God. Well, Isaac, he has his failure, and now we're going to see the failure of his wife, verses 5 through 10. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. So Rebecca is there in the tent where Isaac and uh, uh, sorry uh, Esau are having this conversation, and she overhears what's said. Remember that the blessing was meant to be something that would have been public knowledge. That here we're going to have this kind of ceremony; everybody in the family is going to hear. But this is kind of this quiet thing just between them. But but she hears about it, and she's very concerned about it because she knows the one who's supposed to be blessed is Jacob, not Esau. And so now she kind of comes up with her own scheme. Okay, well, Isaac is going against God's will, going against God's plan. He's trying to bless the wrong son. And so I need to do something is her mindset to try to help God out here. We've seen this a lot with Abraham's descendants. Abraham tried to help God out in the flesh. And now we're seeing Rebecca do the same. And so first she comes to Jacob. She says to him what she heard. Hey, I heard your dad and your brother talking and your dad has sent your brother out to go hunt and bring back some savory food. And when he does that, your dad's going to eat it and then he's going to bless him. So we got to do something here or you're going to lose out on your blessing. And so here's what I want you to do. Go get some goats and kill them and bring me the meat and I will make the savory food that your dad loves. I know how to do it, and he won't know the difference whether it's Esau's meal or my meal. Then you go bring that to your dad, pretending to be your brother, and you can get the blessing. 
So this is her plan. We're going to deceive your father. He's going to bless you instead of your brother. And this is what we're going to do. So Rebecca knew God's word. And this is good. She knew God's word for Jacob. She knew that this was supposed to be the blessing for Jacob. She knew that you know she tries to do God's work by getting Jacob blessed. But the problem is she doesn't do it in God's way. She knows the word, she tries to do the work, but she doesn't do it the way that she should have. Charles Spurgeon says this, Good men have gone very wrong when they have sought of aiding in the fulfillment of promises and prophecies. See how Rebecca erred in trying to get the promise and blessing for Jacob? We had better leave the Lord's decrees in the Lord's hands. You know, Rebecca struggled with something that you and I struggle with so often, knowing God's word and doing God's work, but not in God's way. And this is a subtle tendency that can creep into our life. It's good that we know what we're supposed to do, know what the Word says, know that we want to be a part of God's work, but yet not do it in the way that God would want us to do it, which ruins everything. You know, you might have a sincere heart to see God's work done in your life, done in the life of your family or in your community. But we need to remember the work that God wants us to do has to be in God's way. You know, she had a good heart. I want to see my son get the blessing that he was supposed to get, the one that God said he'd get. And now she's kind of going, well, it's up to me now to make sure that happens. No, it wasn't up to her. God promised it and God would fulfill it. She didn't need to try to do this, but yet she feels like she does, and now she's doing in her own way something that's going to cause lots of problems. We see an example of this in the life of Moses. Moses tried to do God's work in his own way, and the results were disastrous. God wanted to deliver the nation of Israel from bondage in Egypt. Moses finds out, I'm a Hebrew. I want to help. I have this power. I'm born and now raised in Pharaoh's house. And so here's how I'm going to help. I am going to kill an Egyptian. And we're going to do it. And the Israelites are going to think, here's our man. Look at him. He's killed an Egyptian. He's going to set us free. And it doesn't work out well for him. Instead of them wanting him, they're afraid of him. And look what you've done. And now he flees Egypt. He goes into the wilderness. And for 40 years, he's humbled by God as a shepherd. And it was now when he got to a point where it's like, all right, the only way I'm going to do anything is God's way, God comes back and says, hey, Moses, I now want to use you to deliver the nation of Israel. Forty years ago, I couldn't use you because you wanted to do it your way. But now that I've worked in you and you're ready to do it my way, let's go do it. And then God uses him to deliver the nation of Israel. But that only happened when he changed from doing God's work his own way to doing God's work God's way. Rebecca knew the word of God concerning her son, and she tried to do the work of God in her own way. And that was her failure. That was her sin, which brings us to the second thing I want us to take note of tonight. God's work must be done God's way, not our way. God did not ask Rebecca to make sure Jacob got his birthright. Jacob got his blessing. God didn't need her help. God promised it. He would make it happen She just needed to trust the Lord to do it, but she wasn't willing. She wanted to make it happen herself, and all sorts of problems came because of it. So Isaac has failed. His wife has failed. And now we're going to see the failure of Jacob in verses 11 and 12. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. 
Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him and I shall bring a curse on myself, not a blessing. So Rebecca tells the plan to Jacob and, you know, this is what we're going to do and we're going to get the food and you're going to come in and you're going to give it to your dad and we're going to deceive him. He's going to think you're his brother and he's going to give you the blessing. And Jacob says, you know what, there's a problem with your plan. Esau's hairy and I'm a smoothie. I'm a smooth-skinned man, and he's a hairy man, and so when dad touches me, he's going to know I'm not my brother. But notice what he says, and this, what he says here in verse 12 is humorous to me. Perhaps my father will feel me, feel that my skin is smooth compared to my brother's, and I shall seem, notice that word, seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself, not a blessing. Now think about this. I'm willing to go deceive my dad. I'm all for this plan, mom. But what happens if dad finds out and I seem to be a deceiver to him? Jacob, it's not that you seem to be a deceiver. You are a deceiver. And it's just so silly. That's like, I am going to deceive my dad. And the only thing I'm concerned about is that if he actually finds out and thinks I'm a deceiver, well, you mean find out what you really are? Yeah. But notice that Jacob is more concerned about what his father thinks about him than what he really is. He doesn't say, hey, wait a second, mom, this is wrong. This is not the way we should move forward. This is deceptive. This is sinful. You know, I'm not going to be a part of this. He just says, you know what? The way that you've designed this plan hasn't thought about all the different possibilities here. And since I'm not hairy and dad might touch me, he might, I might seem to be a deceiver to him. Jacob wasn't concerned about the fact that he was a deceiver. He was only concerned about what someone might think he was. I know I have struggled with this in my life, wanting to, you know, people to see me as something that I'm not. More concerned about what people think about my spiritual life than what my spiritual life actually is. Coming to church, it was the, 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 the place so often where it's like, let me put on the show. Let me have people think I'm doing so well spiritually, but I know in my life that I'm not. I know even leading up you know, to the week before the service that it was like all these different things in my life that I didn't really care about. All I cared about was that people saw me as super spiritual and doing super great, but I didn't really care, care about, well, what about the things that are really happening that I should be concerned about? I was like Jacob. Not really concerned with doing the sin of deception, more concerned with being found out about it. And I think we have a struggle oftentimes. We're not so much concerned about our character, we're more concerned about our reputation. Character and reputation are very different from one another. Reputation is what people think I am. Character is what I actually am. And this is the thing. So often, all we really want is, I just want my reputation to be good. I want people to think something of me that oftentimes isn't true instead of I want to really focus on my character, what I really am. And I think as Christians, there's probably for all of us have times in our life where we're more concerned about the reputation of what people think I am than truly working on the character of what I really am. Character has been described as what you are when no one is watching but God. So if you want to know what your character is really like, here's a a simple test. You will know what your character is truly like by what you do when no one's around. So when no one's around, when no one's watching, when you're all alone, what you watch, what is it 
What internet sites do you go to? What is it you listen to? What is it you do when no one's watching but God? That, that's the real kind of definition, determination, test for you to see, you know, where am I at in my character? Not how do I act on Sunday when all these people are looking and, and I kind of put on a show. But no, when no one's watching, what are you like? When no one's watching, what is it you watch? What is it you do? That's the true character of your life. And what are you more concerned about, what others think you are or what you actually are? You know, we can get away with deceiving other people. That's just the reality of it. You know, Sunday happens all the time in churches all across the world where people will come and will put on a show and they'll be seen as super spiritual when that's not really the reality of their life. And the reason for that is because we're kind of prone to look at the outward. And we see different things and we hear different speech and we think, oh, they must be real spiritual, but that might not necessarily be the case. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We mainly look at the outward. Hey, I can see this going on. I can hear this being said. And so I make a determination as to whether or not someone's spiritual by that. But God says, you know what? I see something far more important. I see the heart. I see what's really going on inside. And so all the show and all the, the different pretending that's going on, I see right through it and right past it. And I see directly into the heart of the individual. And I know what's really going on. I know the real character that's in this person's life. Jacob was more concerned about what others thought about him than what he really was. Which brings us to the third point I want us to take note of. God is concerned with what we really are, not with what others think we are. God wants us to focus on our character, not our reputation. You see, when you focus on growing in godly character, a godly reputation will follow. Because it will be what you really are, and people will start to see that. But if you're focusing on wanting to be seen as a godly person when really you're not, what's ultimately going to come is it's going to be revealed that that's not what you really are, and focusing on the reputation does not help you grow in character. What we should be emphasizing is when no one's watching, just me, I want to focus on growing in the Lord, and the natural outworking of that is when people are now seen, they're going to see a change in my life, they're going to see a different reputation because there's a different character. So Rebecca comes up with a plan to deceive her husband. Jacob's concerned because the plan might backfire. Hey, Esau's hairy. I'm not. What happens if he touches me and I get cursed instead of blessed? And so now Rebecca's like, good point. And they're going to continue on their plot to deceive her husband. Verse 13 says this. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were, in her, which were with her in, his ho- in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids on the goats on his hand and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread, which she prepared into the hand of her son Jacob." So Jacob's concerned about getting cursed instead of blessed. He's concerned about being seen for what he is. And he's really concerned because he feels like there's a little problem with the plan, Mom. You're sending me in to Dad, but all he has to do is touch me, and he'll realize I'm not Esau because I'm not Harry. 
And so she thinks of a way to deal with that. So she said, you know what, just go get the goats. I'll prepare the food. And I got a plan for that because you know what? I'm just going to take some animal skins that are hairy. I'm going to place it on your hands. I'm going to place it on the smooth parts of your neck. And so if you come near dad and he touches you, he's going to feel something hairy. And then you don't have to worry about it. He'll think you're Esau. We got, I got it covered. I got it all thought through of how this is going to work. But notice the first thing she says to her son to try to ease him, because his main concern is, we're trying to do this so I can be blessed, but if dad finds out, I'm going to be cursed. And she says to her son, let your curse be on me, only obey my voice and do what I've said to you. Now, this is a bold statement. You know what? Let your curse be on me. If your your father curses you, let me deal with the repercussions. Let it be on me in my life. And the sad reality is, it's coming. She, she does this, and she doesn't really think about the consequences of her actions. She's going to have some severe consequences. What she wants and what she wants to see is not going to happen the way that she wants it. And actually, sadly, she's going to be apart from it. She's going to have to get her son away from her, and she's never going to see him again. She's going to die before he comes back. And it's just so sad that there is the repercussions that are going to come to her, and she probably doesn't even realize, hey, let me be cursed for you. Don't worry about it. Just keep doing it. And it's like, well, wait a second. This should be significant. We shouldn't be just moving forward like this, but she's so um, set in doing this that she's not even concerned with the ramifications that are going to come to her. So now, remember, Isaac is blind. And there are two distinct things about Esau that a blind man could still know. The first is that Esau is hairy. And so if he were to touch Jacob, he would realize, you are not Esau. The second thing about Esau is Esau's an outdoor guy. Isaac's an indoor guy. Well, guess what? There's a different smell to an outdoor guy and an indoor guy. There's some body odor, but there's just this smell of just being outdoors and your clothes are always outdoors. And, you know, there's a whole different smell that comes with that. And so he'd be able to smell you're not Esau. He'd be able to feel you're not Esau. And so mom comes up with a great plan. Hey, I got Esau's clothes. I'm going to put his clothes on you. And so when dad smells you, he's going to smell Esau. And I have these, you know, animal skins, and I'm going to put them on your hand and on your neck. And so if he touches you, he's going to think you're hairy like Esau. And I got the food that Esau loves, that uh, um, Isaac loves. So I got all the bases covered. So let's see what happens in verse 18. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you've told me. Please arise, sit and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Right when Jacob gets into the tent and opens his mouth, dad's a little bit suspicious. Because the reality is, Jacob and Esau have different voices. Perhaps Esau's voice was a lot deeper, and maybe Jacob went in there and was like, Hi, Dad, it's Esau. He probably tried to disguise his voice, but right away, 
Isaac realizes, wait a second, I might be blind, but I'm not deaf. I can still hear that there, that that is not the voice of my son Esau. And so Isaac says right away, who are you? He wouldn't need to say, who are you? He sent Esau away. He's expecting Esau to come back. But when he hears the voice, he's like, wait a second, who is this? And Jacob responds by saying, hey, I'm Esau, your son. I've done what you've told me to do. But Isaac is still suspicious. And he says, well, wait a second. Well, how'd you find and kill an animal this fast? I mean, come on, you got to go find it. You got to hunt it. You got to kill it. You got to prepare it. How'd you do it so quickly? Notice what Jacob says. Jacob says, because God brought it to me. Well, the deception is really good, but it's also getting more dangerous. Now he's bringing God into the equation. He's making the sin even worse. And Isaac, still not sure if this is really Esau, says, let me feel you that I might see whether you are Esau or not. And so Isaac feels him, and he feels that animal skin and the hairiness of it, and he says, The voice is my son Jacob's voice. He heard that. He recognized that. But this is definitely not smoothie. This is not Jacob's skin. It's hairy. This is Esau's skin. And so he says, okay. But Isaac really is still not sure. And he has another test, actually two more, to determine whether this is really Esau or not. Notice what goes on in verse 25 through 29. He said, bring it near to me, speaking of the food that was supposed to be prepared, and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's son bow down to you. Curses everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Now one of the main things that Isaac thought would prove whether this was Esau or Jacob was the food. He loved Esau more than Jacob and one of the main things he loved about Esau, remember, was the food that Esau brought. Esau went and killed and prepared this great meat and obviously Jacob wasn't capable of that and so he knew that and so he's like, okay, this will be the test. If Jacob really is here, there's no way I'm going to get the nice savory meal that I'm expecting, but Rebecca knew how to make that food and so Rebecca did a great job of imitating what her son Esau was able to make and so Jacob brings that and gives it to dad. And dad's thinking, wow, this does taste like what Esau would make me. And so once again, he's thinking, the voice sounds like Jacob, but now another reason to think maybe it truly is Esau. But he's still not fully convinced. And he says, come and kiss me. And as Jacob comes to kiss him, he smells him. And he says, oh, the smell of an outdoor man, the smell of the field. This truly must be Esau because Jacob doesn't smell like this. He's an indoor guy, but he's wearing his brother's clothing. And so, you know, Rebecca covered all her bases, and now Isaac is starting to think, wait a second, maybe this is really Esau. And so he gives him the blessing. The blessing is, is a great blessing. He asks for God's blessing to be uh, in all sorts of different ways, but he also says for God to bless him in the sense of that your younger brother, thinking it's going to be Jacob, is going to serve you. And, um, and he, he shares all this, and curse be those who curse you, bless be those who bless you. 
But I want you to note something here about Isaac that I think is very interesting. And he keeps bringing tests forward because his ears tell him one thing. The word that he heard out of the mouth of Jacob tells him one thing, but yet his feelings tell him something else. Right away, he hears, wait a second, this is not Esau. This is definitely Jacob's voice. The word I hear is truly Jacob, but now my feelings, what I feel here, uh, it feels like a hairy guy. It smells like an outdoors man. The food tastes like what Esau would make. And so now he's, what am I going to decide based on? The word that I heard or the feelings that I have? And I got a choice to kind of determine what I'm going to do. And ultimately, he goes with the feelings. He goes with what he felt, what he smelled, what he ate, as opposed to what he heard. And he was deceived in the process. And there's something important that I think we can take from this, not literally here, but I think there's so much that we have where there's the word that we hear from God, the word of God that clearly says something And so often we're faced with the decision, am I going to go with the Word of God or am I going to go with how I feel? And we struggle with that so often. And as a pastor, I hear so many people making excuses to go against God's Word because they say, "Well, well, I feel like this is right. I feel like I should do this. I feel. And so it's like, well, who cares about your feelings? God's Word says no, and that should end it. But just like with Isaac here, so often we're, driven by the feeling over the truth of what God's Word says. You know, I know girls that have come to me and said, you know, I've been, I've been dating this guy, and yeah, he's not a believer in Jesus, but maybe one day he will be, and I just want to move in with him. And, you know, all these things that are just like clearly, no, this isn't right, this isn't biblical, I can take you to all the verses, but, you know, yeah, I see that, Pastor, but I just don't feel that. I, I feel this love, I feel like it's right, I feel like God's telling me to do it, so I'm going to. It's like, Forget your feelings. Your feelings are leading you to sin and hold on to the truth of God's word. If we follow our feelings, oftentimes we will be deceived. But if we follow the word of God, the truth of the word will never be deceived. The fourth thing I want you to take note of is follow God's word, not your feelings. You and I can be so easily deceived when we don't stick to the Word of God. Now, something I want you to note about this blessing is that this family seems to think this is something magical. Like, what Isaac says is definitely going to happen apart from God's will or apart from God's wisdom or apart from God's work. Like, hey, as long as Isaac says it, it's going to take place. No. And this is kind of a silly part of it. Everyone's fighting for, we got to get Isaac to say these words for us because if he says it, it's going to happen. Well, wait a second. God has already said Jacob is the one I'm going to bless. Jacob is the one that's going to be the head. Jacob's going to do this. That's God's will. Irrelevant. Now, if Isaac could bless Esau a million times over, Esau's not going to get it because that's not what God wants. And the blessing only is going to happen if God fulfills it because he's praying ultimately to God to say, bless my son in this way and that way and do this. Well, the blessing only is relevant if God actually fulfills it. Well, God's only going to fulfill what his will is, and his will is not for Esau, his will is for Jacob, but they seem to kind of really miss the part that God plays, which is the most important part of this whole blessing, and they're trying to, you know, scheme and do all this stuff because they think, well, as long as Isaac says these words, it's going to be fulfilled. Well, no, what's going to be fulfilled are the words of God, and that should be what they have been focused on, and they would have saved themselves a lot of hurt and headache and problems. So we've seen Isaac, we've seen Rebekah, We've seen Jacob's failure. 
well, there's still another character in this family who we haven't seen as failure. Esau, let's see what he does. Verse 30. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also made savory fruit and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. So Jacob just gets done deceiving his dad, gets out of the tent, leaves, and now Esau comes in right after it. He's there. He's got his meal prepared. He's ready. <laughs> Finally, I'm going to give this to dad. He's going to eat it. And I'm going to get this great blessing from dad. And he's excited. And he comes in and he says, hey, father, here I am. Here's the meal. And Isaac's very confused. Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? I'm Esau. Remember, we just talked about me getting you food and bringing it back to you. I'm here. I brought it for you. When Isaac hears it, we're told that he trembled exceedingly. This phrase is very strong. It means to shake convulsively. I mean, he is physically shaking because he just realized something. I just gave the blessing to Jacob. I've just been deceived. Here is the true Esau here. And I just ate of Jacob's meal and I've just blessed Jacob. And he just, it hits him. And Isaac says, who? Who is this? Where is the one who hunted game and just brought it to me? Who's the one who just did this? I ate of all of his food and I blessed him. Now remember, Isaac knew that he should have blessed Jacob instead of Esau. But Isaac decided to go against God's plan, to go against what God wants, and I'm going to bless the son I love more. Even though it doesn't, it's not going in line with God, I don't care. But you know what? His plan doesn't work. He kind of does this secret thing. Esau, you and me in my tent, you go out, you get the food, come back. We won't tell anybody. I'll bless you. It'll be good. He does all this thinking, I'm going to undermine what God wants. I'm going to bless Esau. I'm going to go against what God wants. And it doesn't work. He ends up blessing Jacob instead. And he just realizes at this moment, I, I've ultimately tried to go against God. And God allows me now to bless Jacob, the one he said I should have always blessed, instead of blessing Esau. Now, Isaac says something here that I think is very important to note. I have blessed him, speaking of Esau, but then he says, and indeed he shall be blessed. Now, you would think in the moment here of saying, hey, I ate of Isaac's meal. I, I, I mean, I ate of Jacob's meal. I blessed Jacob, but he deceived me. And I am now going to curse him. And that blessing is not going to stick. I'm not going to continue with it. You know, you would think that would be the response that he would have of he swindled me. How dare he? Don't you worry, son. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to curse your brother. But he doesn't say that. I blessed Jacob and indeed he shall be blessed. I want to bring your attention to Hebrews chapter 11. As we noted, Hebrews kind of shines some light as God's perspective over what's happening here. And it says something about Isaac and this decision that when you would read it after reading the story, you would think they don't really seem to go hand in hand. Hebrews 11.20 says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Isaac blessed 
Jacob and Esau, what are you talking about? Isaac was trying to do something completely against what God wants, and he got deceived. But God's saying, no, by faith he did this. He did this the way he should. Well, what does that mean? I think it comes back to this statement that we see here when he says, indeed he shall be blessed. I think at this moment, Isaac realized, you know what? I have tried to go against God in blessing Esau, and God enabled it to happen that I blessed Jacob and said, the one I should have blessed all along, I realized I've been in the wrong, and I'm not going to go back now. I realized the one I should have blessed was Jacob. And now that I have blessed Jacob, indeed he shall be blessed. I'm not going to turn away from this. I'm not going to go away from this because I was the one who was wrong in trying to bless Esau. And now I recognize I should have done it for Jacob. I might have been deceived into doing it, but I'm not going to change it. Jacob's going to stay blessed because he's the one that God wanted to be blessed, which I think is what Hebrews is sharing here. Charles Spurgeon said this, as soon as Isaac perceives that he has been wrong in wishing to bless Esau, he does not persist in it. He will give Esau such a blessing as he may, but he does not think for a moment of retracting what he has done. He feels that the hand of God was in it. What is more, he tells his son, he is blessed, yeah, and shall be blessed. Well, this is bad news for Esau. So let's see how he responds to it. Obviously, this is not what he was hoping for. He wanted the blessing and he realizes he's not getting it. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. When Esau hears the news of what Jacob has done, he is very upset, and we're told that he cried, he wept bitterly, and he says to his father, Isaac, well, actually, Isaac says to him, your brother deceived you and took away your blessing. And Esau responds, is he not rightly named Jacob? Remember, Jacob means the, the, the trickster, the deceiver. Oh, yeah, he has a really good name. He's doing exactly what his name says. But notice what he goes on to say. He has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now, look, he has taken away my blessing. Well, wait a second, Esau. You want to put all the blame on Jacob for both of these things. Yeah, he's pretty much all the blame for taking away your blessing. But let's remember now how you lost your birthright. You came in hungry, and Jacob had a stew. And you said, give me some. And Jacob said, sell me your birthrights. And you basically said, what's the birthright to me? Give me the stew. You can have it. 
You could have said, no, I'm not selling you my birthright. I'll go into the house and find my own meal if I have to. He didn't have to sell your birthright to your brother. It didn't mean anything to you. But now, oh, look at what he did. He, he took it from me. No, you gave it away because you didn't care about the spiritual headship of the home, which we looked at in chapter 25. You know, hey, my dad's death's a long way away. And what do I care about being the spiritual head of the home? Because that's one of the main things a birthright was. But it also was a monetary blessing. You got double portion. But now, all of a sudden, Dad might be dying soon. And I'm going to get the blessing, which is the double portion. And I want that. I want the, the, the material blessing. I don't want the spiritual role. I want the material things. And now I'm upset that I'm not getting what I want. But he wants to blame Jacob. But the bottom line is, hey, he lost his birthright because he sold it. He gave it away. He didn't, he didn't value it. And now, yes, he got the blessing taken from him by a deceitful brother, but he doesn't want to take responsibility for his own loss of the birthright. He doesn't want to deal with his own sinful selfishness. And really, he's just kind of frustrated and regret, not regretting or repenting. He's just sad for what he's lost. But Esau goes on to say to Isaac, have you not reserved a blessing for me? I mean, sure, you got two, Dad. I mean, you gave one to Jacob, give me one. But the problem is, Dad says, hey, I've made him your master. And that must have been hard. I'm the firstborn. I'm supposed to be the master. I'm supposed to be the head. Well, ultimately, what God said would happen, happened. And Isaac does give him a blessing. Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth, of the dew from heaven above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you will, shall break his yoke from your neck. Not the blessing he was hoping for. So he doesn't get the blessing. And now the true colors of Esau are going to come through. Notice what happens in verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau's hurt. And it's understandable why. His brother deceived him. He's upset with his brother. He's angry with his brother. But it's gone farther than that. While dad's alive, I'm not doing anything to Jacob for my dad's sake. But once dad dies, Jacob's dead. I'm going to kill my brother for what he's done to me. Now, fortunately for Jacob, Isaac wasn't as bad off as he thought. Some commentators believe that Isaac is only 137 years old here. We don't have any reason to really base that off of. But we know for sure he's going to live at least 20 more years because Jacob's going to go away for 20 years and come back and he's still going to be alive. So he doesn't die right away. So Esau's thinking, you know, in the next few days, Isaac's dead and then you're going to be dead too, Jacob. But Isaac lives for at least 20 more years, possibly even closer to 40 more years, which is a blessing to Jacob because Esau's plan is I'm not going to kill you unless dad first dies, because I don't want to do that to dad. All of us have Jacobs in our lives who do horrible things to us, and Esau's failure here is really in his response. Hey, you did this to me, and now I'm going to kill you for it. You took my blessing, and now you're going to die. And, you know, we can't control the fact that people do horrible things to us, but we can control how we respond to them. You know, what they do is totally in their control. What we do in response is totally in our control. And this is the struggle that we have because, you know, our response so often when people do something bad to us is we want to do something bad to them. Someone takes our blessing, I want to kill them. Someone hits me, I want to do this. Someone does this to me, I want to do that. But we have control over how we respond to them. We don't have control over 
what they do to us. But notice what Jesus says. One of his commands to us that is probably one of the more difficult for us to actually put into practice. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27, says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. But if you only love those who love you, what credit is that for you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Jesus says the way that we should respond to those who hate us, to those who do evil to us, to those who are horrible to us, is to love them, to pray for them. And this is something that's such a struggle for us. Kind of like we saw here, we can know what God's Word says, but we've bled by the flesh instead of the Spirit. You know, when someone comes and does something against us, you know, our flesh response is, I want to hurt them, I want to get back at them, I want to do to them what they did to me. It's not, I want to show them love. I want to forgive. I want to pray. But that's exactly what God tells us we should do. The fifth thing I want you to take note of tonight is when people sin against us, we should respond with forgiveness, love, and prayer. I have found, and, and it's something I want to challenge you in, when someone does something against you, take time to sincerely pray for them. And I'm not talking about a prayer of, Lord, strike them down from heaven or give them some horrible disease and make them suffer and be miserable. Not a prayer like that. A sincere prayer of God's blessing, of God's change in their life, of God helping you to forgive them, but really praying for them. And I found it's really almost impossible to sincerely pray for God's blessing, for God to work in someone's life, and at the same time have this you know, desire to kill and this anger. They just don't go hand in hand. And you find as you pray, the Lord starts to remove all those angry, bitter thoughts of destruction of that person's life, and the Lord just works through that to help change your heart towards that individual. And so I think prayer uh, is a great way to help foster the love and forgiveness that also needs to be demonstrated to the person who's done that to you. So Rebecca started this deceptive plan, and now she's going to start seeing the consequences of what's happening. It's not working out the way she wanted, verse 42. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebecca. So she sent and called Jacob, her son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban and Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Well, we're told that Esau in his heart had a plan. My plan is to kill my brother when my dad dies. But he didn't keep this plan quiet. He's told somebody because it got back to his mom of what he was planning to do. So his anger is coming out and he's sharing it. Maybe he's sharing it with his wife. He's saying to somebody, I'm going to kill my brother when dad dies. And Rebecca finds out. And other CC is quite concerned. She started this whole process. And now she's worried that all that I did is ultimately just going to get my favored son, Jacob, killed. And so now she comes up with another plan. All right, my first plan to deceive the husband and get the, the blessing, I got the blessing, but now I got to protect my son. So here's plan number two. You got to leave. 
and go to my brother Laban. And this is a humorous thing that she sends him to Laban because he's the biggest trickster of all, which we're going to see in the next couple chapters. But she sends him to Laban, and she thinks for a few days. Hey, just go there. Let your brother cool down. Once he cools down, you know, he's not going to want to kill you anymore. And when I feel like he's okay, he's cooled down, I'll call for you, and you can come back here. But here's the problem. She thinks, this is it. You know, I'll solve this. You just go to Laban, spend some time with my family. You'll come back, and everything's going to work out. My plan's going to succeed. Uh, I'm going to make this work. Well, it's not going to work out that way. She does send her son away. He is going to go spend time with Laban, and he's going to be there for 20 years. And in that time, she's going to die. She's never going to see Jacob again. She's never going to see his grandchildren. He's going to have 12 uh, sons. She's not going to meet any of them. She's never miss all of this, and it's part of the curse that she's like, hey, you know what? The curse is beyond me. I don't think she realized the reality of what she was saying and all of this, of the consequences that would come, of I'm going to miss some of the best parts of being a mom. I'm not going to get to be a grandma. I'm not going to get to see my grandkids. I've just ostracized myself from Esau. I've just deceived my husband. All I have left is you, Jacob. I've done it all for you. You're my favorite. And now i got to send you away, which I only think is going to be for a few days, and then you're going to come back, and it's going to all be worth it. But the problem is he's never going to see him again. He's never coming back to see her. She's going to die. And so all this in her mind, which she thinks is going to work out so well, ends up just completely exploding in her face, and it's a very bad ending for her. But you know what? In order to get Jacob to leave, or really to have permission to leave, she once again has to deceive her husband. She doesn't want to tell her husband the real reason she wants Jacob to leave because she's the real party of why this is happening. She doesn't want to say, hey, Esau is going to kill him, so we got to get him out of here. So she comes up with another reason, and I'm sure it's a true reason, but she does come up with another reason. I'm wary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now remember at the end of chapter 26, they're super upset because Esau married two women from this land who were both pagans and led him away from the Lord. And so this is a sincere thing. I'm sure she truly didn't want Jacob to marry the women who were here after seeing what happened with her other son. And so she's like, hey, Isaac, we got to send him back to where I'm from. Remember, Isaac was never allowed to go there. Abraham says, no, you're not going to go. I'll send Eliezer. You stay in the promised land. So I'm sure Isaac wasn't really keen on either of his sons leaving so she needed to come up with a reason to get him to go, and this is the reason. It's not the true reason. The true reason is, I'm trying to save his life, and she gets him to go thinking he's going to come back soon, but it doesn't happen. And, you know, the reality is it's a tragic story where everyone lost because they didn't trust and follow God. We see Isaac disobeys God's word to fulfill his flesh, but she should have denied his flesh and obeyed God's word. Rebecca tries to do God's work, in her own way, and she should have just trusted God to do his work in his way. Jacob's more concerned about what people thought of him than what was really going on inside of him, and we should be more concerned with our character, what we're really going through on, than what people think. Isaac is deceived because he was led by what he felt instead of what he heard, and we need to be aware of the fact that we need to be led by the word, not by our feelings. And Esau responds with anger and murderous thoughts, but he should have responded with forgiveness love, and prayer. And as I started with, as we look at the lives of people who fail and sin and, and have issues like we do, really we should look from the perspective of how can we learn? 
How can we not repeat this? You know, let's not be the ones who have to do it all ourselves in order to learn the hard way. Let's be able to look at someone else's life and say, this isn't worth it. What Rebecca did, that plan, you know what? I don't want to do that in my life. What Jacob decided to do to his dad, I don't want to do that. You know, what Esau does in response to this, I don't want to be like that. And let's learn from them and hopefully be able to change without having to experience all these things like they did. So any thoughts on what we looked at tonight in this chapter?